Well, hello and welcome back to Moments with Moni. I'm so glad you're here where you can find practical help for the heart and home as we ponder life from a biblical perspective, as well as a weekly digital dose of discipling to help equip us to be better effective in the opportunities that God places before us to further his kingdom. Hello and welcome back to Moments with Moni. This is episode number 152. Well, I'm so excited that you're here. I get to share something with you today. I believe it is spring in Arkansas. I can tell by the weather changing from freezing to air conditioning time to those pink blossoms that are coming out on what I believe is a magnolia tree in our front yard. They are so beautiful. However, I have to remember that March came in like a lamb here in Arkansas, so I'm being very careful with what I put outside to grow just yet. I used to have a garden, large gardens in my lifetime, but I can't do all that now. So I have a few things, seeds mainly, that I started in a little greenhouse to give us a little bit of microgreens and such, and mainly so that I can feel like I'm playing in the dirt again. That's always precious to me. But some of them are already sprouting. I've got radishes and onions and lettuce and microgreens that are all sprouting inside of the greenhouse, which is basically plastic around a few metal poles. I'm hoping that the strawberry seeds will grow quickly, but we'll see. This area is known as, I believe, the strawberry capital of the United States. So I'm looking forward to tasting some of those this year. The first spring strawberries in Idaho, well, They usually ended up somewhere in the middle of summer, and then they started tasting like real strawberries. Anyway, that's enough about all that dirt, but it does bring me to think about the land that we've been talking about in the book of Ruth, and by way of Genesis 3, the land that was lost to Adam and the land in Revelation 5 that is spoken of, that is redeemed by our Goel, kinsman redeemer, no less than Jesus Christ, the only one worthy to open the scrolls, the only one worthy to open the seals on the scroll that opens up all of the judgments that are poured out onto the earth because of mankind's hard hearts and God's judgment. But you know what? That end is not here yet. We still have time to turn our hearts around. Repent means to turn around and go the other direction. Turn towards Christ. Turn from our own ways and turn towards His. Read the Bible, find out what His heart is and what He wants us to be doing in this lifetime with the time that we've been given. Phew, all that without coffee. I guess I'm excited about that part of future history, all rolled into one, just depends on your perspective. Since God is outside of time, he sees it all at the same time. Since we're humans, 
we still have time left. So let's take a look at Ruth and see what we can glean from God's word. So last week, we left off a little abruptly, but we had a time in Ruth chapter 4 where Boaz was attempting to purchase the land back for Naomi, but had to offer it to a closer relative of hers. And that didn't go very well. (laughs) The uh, other relative decided to not take advantage of the first right of refusal. And in that culture, he was obligated to take off his sandal and walk through town without that on, known as one who reneged on such a legal or moral opportunity. And all of this was done at the city gates where there were 10 elders to witness all of this. So now we pick up in chapter 4 on verse 11. And all the people that were in the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman that is come into thine house like Rachel and like Leah, which too did build the house of Israel, and do thou worthily in Ephrata and be famous in Bethlehem. So here the crowd that had gathered around all these witnesses rejoice and they respond to what's going on at the city gates. And they pronounce a blessing on Ruth and ask the Lord to make her like Rachel and like Leah who built the house of Israel. Wow, that's a big story. Do you remember that? And how in the world does that apply to Ruth? Well, we have to go all the way back to Genesis 29, where Jacob met Leah and Rachel and Laban. Laban actually is the uncle of Jacob, and Laban had two daughters, Rachel and Leah. Well, Jacob fell in love with one, but Laban tricked him into working for one of his daughters and for her hand in marriage, and instead of giving him that daughter, the uncle Laban gave Jacob the other daughter. Jacob was taken with Rachel's beauty, and of course, she was the younger sister, and and Leah, well, was not, and there was a bit of rivalry going on after Jacob ended up marrying them both. And both of these women wanted to raise up a family, generations, for Jacob after that. And as they fought over him night after night between themselves and then offering their surrogates, they ended up raising up many children between the two of them. But uh, poor Jacob, he just didn't know where to lay his head down each night. But between the two of these women, they did raise and build up a house of Israel, which is why it's connected. These 12 sons of Jacob ended up making the tribes of Israel. So the crowd, the witnesses, were basically expressing a prayer for fertility for Ruth and Boaz so that their descendants would continue the line of the family. Oh, but wait, there's more. Verse 12 goes on and says, And let thy house be like the house of Pharez, whom Tamar bare unto Judah, of the seed which the Lord shall give thee of this young woman. 
Here we need to jump ahead to Genesis chapter 38 to understand what this kind of a blessing was. The man Judah took a wife for his firstborn, Ur, named Ur, and her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death. Then Judah said to Onan, Hey, go into your brother's wife and perform the duty of a brother-in-law to her and raise up the offspring for your brother. You know, this Leverite marriage plan. Well, he wasn't so keen on it either. So he didn't do that. And then Judah decided, okay, Tamar, my daughter-in-law, just kind of hang out with us for a while. And it just gets more complicated from there. You can read the whole story in chapter 38 of Genesis But basically, because of the way that the Leverite marriage plan worked, Tamar ended up tricking her father-in-law for a child. And in the end, it is said that Tamar was more righteous than Judah was. And because of that, Tamar's husband's name was not blotted out of history. So we have a prayer, a blessing for fruitfulness, and another one a prayer of restoration of the family line. And because of that, the restoration of the land as well. In chapter 1, the Lord gave food. We have a picture of that through Boaz. In chapter 4, the Lord gave conception and family. Let me share something here about the law of redemption. In ancient Israel, the land, it wasn't sold just for money as we are used to doing But God was the real landowner, and Israel was simply a tenant under the conditions of obedience. When the land was sold, what the buyer received was only the use of the land, not clear title to it. And there were conditions under which a kinsman of the seller could redeem the land back to the original family. These conditions were typically noted on the outside of the scroll defining the transaction. Boaz is not the only lord of the harvest. He also saves the day by performing the role of the kinsman redeemer. By his intervention, the forfeited lands are returned to Naomi, and he takes Ruth, a Gentile, to be his bride. How could Boaz marry a Moabitess? The law legally forbade intermarriage, especially to a Moabite. Do you remember who Boaz's mother was? That's right, Rahab, the Amoritess, that distinguished herself at Jericho. Both Rahab and Ruth are mentioned in the genealogy of our Lord Jesus. The law shut Ruth out. Grace took her in. The scroll in Revelation chapter 5, on that was written, within And on the backside, which identifies it as a deed, which I spoke about in a few episodes past, subject to redemption. Jesus, a kinsman of Adam in his role as a goel, a kinsman redeemer, is taking possession of what he had already purchased with his blood as the sacrificial lamb. He not only purchased the land, he also purchased a bride, the bride of Christ. That's worth a hallelujah and many amens and much worship of our King and Savior and Lord. 
Okay, but back to the story here. In verse 13, so Boaz took Ruth and she was his wife. And when he went in unto her, the Lord gave her conception and she bare a son. This is the family that God has given them, the restoration of that line. Boaz took her. Notice how, yes, this is an intimate time, a time of a wedding between these two, and yet God writes it so respectively. It's not like a dirty, trashy novel that you can pick up for a dime at the store these days, but the beauty of the life that God puts into this family is written here in one sentence. He goes on to say, And the women said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which has not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel, in all of Israel. And he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life and a nourisher of thine old age. For thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons, hath been born. Okay, a bit of an explanation here. Looks like at least nine months have passed since the conception, and now we have a little baby that's been born, and we have a party going on. And all of the women have come to bless Naomi and share their prayers with her, because Naomi came into the house of bread empty-handed, but now her line continues, not through the birth of her sons. Had she had seven sons, it wouldn't have been this good, say these women. Ruth is better to you than it would have been to have seven sons, seven being the number of perfection or completion. Remember, the Jews, the Hebrews at this time, looked at numbers and prophecy and patterns so that number would have signified to them perfection or completion. Basically, it's a happy ending. But wait, there's more. And Naomi took the child and laid it to her bosom and became a nurse unto it. And the women, her neighbors, gave it a name gave it a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Oh, I know how that feels. I remember when we had a son. You know, we used to be the apple of our parents' eyes, but as soon as we give them grandchildren, it's like, children? Children who? Not that they don't love us, of course. It's just that the grandchildren have now sparked another generation of joy in their hearts. And wait, there's still even more that is so important in that verse. First of all, Obed, we've looked at all the meanings of the other names of this book. Obed means serving or worshiper, a serving worshiper. Yes, during the darkest days of the judges, God brings a great work to light. Ruth is David's great-grandmother. Oh, as a picture of Jesus, Boaz, and a picture of the church, Ruth, the birth of Obed is a picture of a serving worshiper. God used a Moabite woman to bring the greatest king in Israel's history to life. 
After much death in Moab, God now gives a legacy to this family. In verse 18, it continues now the credits. It's like the credits at the end of a movie. Now pay attention. Don't let your eyes roll back in the back of your head because this is really important. Now these are the generations of Pharez. Pharez begat Hezron, and Hezron begat Ram, and Ram begat Aminadab, and Aminadab begat Nashon, and Nashon begat Salmon, and Salmon begat Boaz, and Boaz begat Obed, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David, King David. And there was rejoicing in the land. Yes, the book began with the darkest days. But there's much more to this than just a love story. Why is it in our Bibles? Is it for our entertainment? From Genesis 3, the fall of man, to redemption, the kinsmen had to have rights and resources and resolve to redeem. Chapter 1, we found that Naomi's arms were empty. In chapter 4, Naomi's arms are full of this little child and the legacy to come. From death to life, we've gone from curse to blessing, from bitterness to happiness, from emptiness to fullness, from despair to hope. The last verse in this book is not the end. In the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 1, verses 5 to 16, this lineage that goes on there points to Jesus. And none of the women that are in this, in this uh, genealogy record, none of them deserve to be in this genealogy, but they're in there. This Old Testament book points to the gospel. Jesus, our kinsman, redeemer. We don't deserve his grace, and yet we have it. It's been offered to us freely. In 1 Peter chapter 1, we're showed that he paid the price. In him is wisdom. In Matthew 1 and 2, it just so happens that there was a census and a return to Bethlehem, the land of blessing. Keep in mind, God is still writing the last chapter of our lives. So even if it looks dark these days, even if these days look as dark as the days of Noah, which they seem to be right now, there is still hope if we place our hope in Jesus. Keep looking up, for I know that my Redeemer lives, and he has already purchased my soul And he, with his blood, removes all the sin from those of us that choose to accept his free gift of salvation and wash ourselves clean in the blood of the Lamb. And one day soon, he'll be coming back for us to take us home to the home that he's preparing for us. So don't give up. Keep looking at the finish line. We have work to do while we're here, and we have hope in our hearts for the future, the eternal future that we will have with our Father, with Christ in heaven.
And one day soon, I'll see you there, I hope. I'm praying for your soul and hope that you have fallen in love with God's Word and more in love with Him so that you can dig in and into these love letters that He has left for us so that we can come to know our God more intimately before we meet Him face to face. Home. 
Now that you've listened to the podcast today, remember to apply soap liberally this week. Choose a scripture from today's lesson. Write down your observation of the text. Consider how to apply it to your own life and write a love letter to the Lord in prayer. And don't forget to check out the blog at momentswithmoni.com for more information and free downloads. And while you're there, feel free to leave your comments and your questions. Until next time, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life.